All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone, and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick at 50. We're back. Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay. I'm Jason Fitz in for Field Yates. He's going to join us on the other side of the break. Another year of college football in the books means another year of draft season is upon us. My favorite time of the year. And if you didn't get a chance to watch enough college football, if you love the NFL draft process and learning more about the rookie class, or maybe you're just getting a jump start on your fantasy research to find the next Najee or Chase, whatever it may be, our goal is to make you a knowledgeable NFL draft fan with insights of Mel Kuyper Junior Todd McShay and a host of rotating guests will bring in over the course of the draft season. Now, this year, not only are we here on audio, we're on video. I'm uh, sitting in my house, uh, Field Yates, usually on campus. Mel and Todd looking like pros in their home setup, as always. But we're also streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and the ESPN app. All you got to do is find us all, every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern. We're there, right there. You can follow us on Twitter at Mel Kuyper ESPN at McShay13 at Field Yates. You can throw me a sympathy follow at Jason Fitz. You'll find the links for the streams there for the videos from every show for mock drafts and for all sorts of NFL draft draft content. And we've got the audio only show every Thursday. Mel, Todd and I kick off the show taking a deeper dive into the draft. Then Mel and Todd off to the grind. Uh, they take break down more tape or kayak, whatever they choose to do. So we'll have a round table of guests that join us in at this point. So now that we've done all of the introductions, gentlemen, thank you. I'm just going to say this. Let's have a very real moment. I have loved your work since I was a fan sitting there yelling at you on the TV. I've loved your work while we've been co-workers at ESPN. So it is an incredible stinking honor for me to get here and talk about my favorite thing, the draft, with two of my favorite experts and the two of you. So thanks for letting me keep Field's seat warm. And let's get into quarterback conversations because we got a bunch of them attending the senior draft, uh, or the senior bowl, I should say. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Carson Strong. The only one not there is Matt Corral. So let's start there with the very easy thoughts on this. Mel, what are your thoughts on the quarterbacks that are going to be there or the quarterback that isn't? Yeah, I think Kenny Pickett uh, right now it goes into the senior bowl, I think. I wouldn't say consensus number one, but I think he deserves to be right there, talked about as QB1 for the kind of year he had, the improvement that he showed. He had the ankle injury last year. With the COVID year, you said, okay, smart to go back. I mean, he probably would have been, Todd can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe a fifth, sixth round pick, uh, day three guy. Now he's going to be in the first round. So for all these kids in college, when you don't maximize and do the best job possible, why are you coming out? When you nail it, when you ace it, then you come out. But for Kenny Pickett, he went back very smart. Lit it up. Jordan Addison became the go-to guy, really helped him. I think having Mark Whipple there during this process really helped as well. Mark's a great quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, now just left Pitt to go to Nebraska. So I think Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis on talent, off-platform throws. You think about the struggles second half of the season, but he had a great first half and he had a great 2020 campaign. I would put him too. Then you go to Matt Corral, uh, the RPO system, the lack of great size. I put him at three. And then four, Desmond Ritter. And titles say, what about Ritter? You had him up there is maybe QB1. If he'd have played well against Alabama, 
I would have been right there to say champion his cause, saying, boy, he deserves to be in that discussion. But he didn't. And it wasn't like the team was overwhelmed. Yes, up front, they couldn't block Alabama that well. But there were opportunities to be had there, and he struggled. So he's right now at four. Needs a good senior bowl week to maybe move up. And then Sam Howe right in there, four or five. You knew he would fall back a little bit, losing those two running backs and those two receivers. So that's the top five. It's fluid. But I think one, two, and three. And Todd, I'm going to go pick it. Uh, Willis Corral right now as a solid one, two, three going into Senior Bowl week. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think Pickett, to me, what, what he was able to show this past year mostly, and you saw flashes of it throughout his career, but really this past year is that, yes, he's the least mobile quarterback of, of the guys that we're talking about potentially in the first round, but he's great inside the pocket. And what I mean by that is he knows where the pressure is coming without having to look at it. He senses if it's coming from the outside, he's going to climb the ladder. If it comes from the inside, he's going to slide. And he is able to extend plays from inside the pocket like great pocket passers do. That's why I compared him a little bit to, to Mac Jones and what I saw in Mac Jones last year in Alabama tape preparing for the 2021 NFL draft is that you don't, you don't have to be the most mobile guy. You just have to be able to extend plays with your feet inside the pocket. And that starts with feeling pressure, knowing where it's coming from. And then it's about being able to, to maneuver inside the pocket and then find open receivers with your eyes down the field. The next thing that he does, he processes extremely fast, a lot like Mac Jones as well. I mean, first read, the second read, the third read, this guy just understands what the defense is trying to throw at him, what the pre-snap look is compared to what the post-snap look is, and, and where to go with the football. And then the accuracy is the third level of it for him. You know, He's not going to beat you with his feet. He doesn't have the biggest arm, but this guy is pinpoint accurate throwing the ball. And, and, and I think those three things, the pocket presence, the fast processing, and the accuracy, it's I, I would argue those are the three most important things you have to have as a quarterback to see, succeed in the NFL. So Pickett had a monster year, and I think he'll continue to, to, put, to do great things and put great tape down for NFL scouts at the Senior Bowl. Malik Willis is completely different. This guy lives on his electrifying you know, mobility. He, he extends plays. He's outstanding. I mean, I, I've got a, a dozen or so throws in my head right now of him eluding the rush getting outside the pocket, rolling right or rolling left, and throwing a dime down the field. I'm talking about off-balance, off-platform, arm angles different, and throwing it 35, 40 yards down the field and hitting a spot perfectly on a frozen rope. That's what he can do. What he needs to improve upon, though, is more consistency inside the pocket as a pocket passer. I mean, his mechanics aren't where they need to be. He, he just is a little bit raw as a, as a pocket passer, and that's where you, you hope that he can have the Jalen Hurts type of improvement that we saw to Hurts, especially this past season, as a, as a passer. And, and that's where he will have to be in order to, to kind of, you know, ultimately become a value pick in the first round. But I think he's the most dynamic athlete and maybe the most dynamic playmaker of all these quarterbacks in the class. And for the rest of the quarterbacks, the one guy I'll point out, Sam Howell. I think the process starts now. We, we talked about Howell in the beginning of the year, coming into the season. Maybe he's the first or second quarterback taken on uh, Spencer Rattler, who had, uh, you know, obviously a terrible season with Oklahoma and it's transferring, and we know that story. But Howell lost his starting two running backs to the NFL, lost his top two receivers to the NFL, all four draft picks, all four contributing at the National Football League level. And so his numbers weren't as good. The production wasn't as good, and UNC had some ups and downs. But if you meet with him and, and you talk to everyone around him, he's everything you look for in terms of leadership, mental toughness, physical toughness, and just being the guy that, that operates the offense. 
And then you watch him on tape. He's got this big time arm. And he's got mobility to extend plays. So I think because of what he's going to do in the meeting room and because of his physical attributes, as we get closer to the, to the draft, he's going to be the quarterback that rises more so than any other quarterback. And it's going to start in Mobile when he gets in front of you know the coaching staff that he's with, all the scouts that he meets with at night, goes into that interview room for the 15-minute interviews. I think he's going to kill this process. And it won't shock me if he winds up being the third or fourth quarterback in this class when just a couple months ago we were talking, maybe he's the fifth somewhere in that middle second round range. So let me be the voice of the fan for a second. And, you know, Mike Golick Jr. always laughs at me and says, I'm incredibly risk averse at quarterback. And we all know that I'm a Raiders fan. Like I, I've seen really bad draft picks uh, at the quarterback position, but I keep looking at this and we're in a, a starved NFL right now where there's a bunch of big franchises that have no answer at quarterback. But the real question is when you look at, we just watched Josh Allen go off and we watched Mahomes go off, but those guys were in such interesting situations that helped them develop with patience. Like, when you talk about the Pickets and the Malik, I mean, Mel, I'll start with you. Is there or are any of these quarterbacks the guy that you say, yes, you draft that guy, and this feels like the guy that can truly lead you? Or are we just talking about a better-than-average crapshoot? Oh, it's definitely very difficult. Think about Josh Allen. I mean, he had critics up until two years ago, even going into this year. I mean, people were still critical of Josh Allen because they didn't like him coming out. He had a lot of haters coming out. He wasn't the first quarterback taken. He wasn't the second quarterback taken. So, again, uh, you think about Justin Herbert. He had critics, and look where he is. So, again, it's really difficult. Talent does win out normally. That's why I think Willis is the most intriguing of this group. I, I, like, I love comps because I think it gives you an idea where we are. And I do. I've always been a Derek Carr guy. And I think I see a little Derek Carr and Kenny Pickett. And Kenny Pickett, and we talked about it, a lot of these quarterbacks come in with limited experience. They've maybe done it for a year, maybe two, year and a half. Kenny Pickett has 50 career starts under his belt. That's very rare. You remember Parcells saying experience is so key for quarterbacks. They need to stay and they need to get that experience. Kenny Pickett is going to be a 24-year-old rookie in the NFL this season. So I think he's the kind of guy... Now we're going to get into when Todd didn't mention the, the hand size. And I went back and looked. I don't know what you glean from the history of hand size with nine being where the kind of cutoff point is. There have been guys under nine that have had success. There's been guys with 10 plus that have been busts in the NFL. But that's going to be a discussion is the hand size of Kenny Pickett wearing gloves on both hands, regardless of it's 85 degrees or 25 degrees. He's wearing gloves on both hands. I talked to Mark Whipple about it. Mark said, hey, go ahead and wear the gloves. It doesn't matter. And then Mark's been with, Mark Whipple was with Ben Roethlisberger. He's been with all the quarterbacks. He said, hey, he's going to be a really good quarterback in this league. I trust Mark. Now, for Willis, I think you look at rolling the dice to say, okay, we know he's not there yet, but we see all the skills. I think the interview process on the board is going to be very important for these guys as well. If he has that aptitude and he has that willingness to work and he's passionate, the first one in, last one out, they're going to be a lot going back and checking with coaches both at Auburn and Liberty about that then I think he could be the first quarterback off the board. I'll throw a name in Todd did mention. It's Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan. He's coming into the draft. He's a guy with talent. He's a guy who can sling it. He's a guy, probably a day three pick. There could be a guy, maybe three, four years we're talking about. But I think it's going to be after the top five, there's going to be some wide range of opinion on who the sixth guy is. I think Desmond Ritter is kind of a wild card. People may be down on him, but there's talent there to like. If he is the fifth quarterback taken, hey, he's going to come in under the radar. He's going to be a guy that has a lot of talent, that people are questioning accuracy, certainly questioning the Alabama game. But I think Ritter is going to be one of those guys going to be polarizing in terms of some guys may like him, but there's going to be some guys maybe a little bit concerned about what they saw at various stages of his career. 
Well, one person yeah, I know I, everybody really loves is Field Yates. Oh, go. go ahead, Don. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Carson Strong does coming out of Nevada. I mean, all of a sudden you're thrust into this, into this you know, mobile situation <coughs> where you come in, you've got general managers, scouts, head coaches from the league all watching your, your every move in practice, right? And, and you look around, and now I'm, I'm with Kenny Pickett, who's going to be an early first-round pick, Malik Willis, who's this you know, freakish athlete who's going to be a, a first-round pick. I've got Sam Howell, who was projected to be a top-five pick and kind of dropped off, but, but he's got such great physical tools and he's a leader. You know, all these, all these guys that you're around, I've got Desmond Ritter, who played in the college football playoff against Alabama. You know, like, how does he handle this moment? I know what I see on tape from him. I see a guy who's, who's 6'4 plus, 215 plus pounds. He can move pretty well for his size. He has a rifle for an arm. He can make all the throws down the field that you want. But he's struggled under pressure at times. And that's the area that, I, you know, how do you, how do you improve upon that in a week at the Senior Bowl? How do you show that you can get better in that area? Part of it is mental, just understanding where the pressure is coming from, knowing what the defense is trying to do. But I'm interested to see with Carson Strong – how does he perform inside the inside the, um, the meeting rooms when you talk to coaches and the coaching staff? What do they say about him? What do the other players say about him in terms of his leadership? Does he handle this pressure well? Because Strong, in my opinion, is kind of the wild card. And when I'm done with his tape and compare it to Desmond Ritter, I don't know if there's a huge difference. So he could go a lot earlier than people think, but he's got to have a really good showing in the Senior Bowl and prove that he belongs. Well, one thing I know is there's never a debate about who QB won around here is. That's Field Yates. Let's throw it to Field and see what he's got for us. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, Try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's pizza, better because it has to be. Thank you, Fitz, and thanks for holding down the fort on Monday. Much appreciated for that. Time now for us to dig deeper into the first overall pick. And last year, the great Mike DiRocco, who covers the Jaguars for ESPN's NFL Nation, did not have to think about the first pick at all. It was Trevor Lawrence the minute the Jaguars clinched that first overall pick. It was about the subsequent picks that we discussed with him. But this year, the Jaguars had the number one overall pick again with a bit more mystery about which direction that they would go. But D-Rock first, thanks for joining us here on First Draft. And as of the conversation you and I are having right now, the team does not have a head coach. Uh, What's the overall state of this franchise as they look to move on from I was going to call it the Urban Meyer era, but I'm not sure that like 11 games qualifies as an era. Yeah, there are a lot of other words we could use to describe his tenure, but um, 
we'll probably get in trouble for using most of them. So we'll just move on from that. Yeah. Um, but honestly, that is kind of where this franchise is right now. They're sort of just floundering around. They have no leadership, no direction. Um, and, you know, someone made a good point to me the other day that they're almost, the franchise is almost like four touchdowns behind. I mean, they've got to catch up. I mean, they've got to change that culture. They've got to fix everything that's going on in that building and just kind of get some stability and consistency in the room or in the building. And once they can do that, then maybe they can start catching up to the rest of the league. Yeah. It's going to be hopefully the right head coaching hire this time around, because if you don't have the right head coach, presuming that Trent Balky stays as a GM, which as of right now he is, uh, then you're, you're out of luck. You can't do it in this league without good leadership. Uh, but having Trevor Lawrence at least gives you some optimism going forward. What we don't know, though, is who will be the Jaguars' next Trevor Lawrence in the sense of being a first overall pick. A lot of people in the early mock drafts are saying defensive end, followed by defensive end, or if you want to call them pass rushers, in Aiden Hutchinson and then Kayvon Thibodeau in some order, one, two. But how set in stone do you think the Jaguars' mindset is right now, given that, well, they have no head coach as of this moment, the GM status is set in stone for now, but at least like stranger things have happened than a change right. at general manager. Uh, we haven't even got to the senior bowl combine pro days, you name it. How locked in do you think Jacksonville as a franchise is on their mindset for this first overall pick right now? Well, how about, I'll go with this. I know that Trent Balky, the GM as of right now, prefers big guys. Like if he's got a choice between a skill guy and a big guy, he likes the big guys. And um, so that leads me to believe it's going to be the def- one of the defensive ends. Um, but don't, you know, I guess cross out Evan Neal, the offensive tackle at Alabama. Um, that's a possibility for them too, because they still have some question marks at that spot as well. Cam Robinson played last year on the franchise tag and, you know, they have to make a determination if they want to try and sign him to a long-term deal or franchise him again. Uh, you know, Walker Little was a rookie they took in the second round last year and he played the last two games of left tackle and looked okay. So they've got a lot of things to consider. Um, and it wouldn't be a bad thing to get yourself two bookend tackles there to kind of protect Trevor Lawrence for the next 10 years, because you could, move Walker Little around. Um, And even if you sign Cam Robson to a longer term deal, you've got some stability there and you've got to protect the kid. Uh, You know, Joe Burrow got beat up all the heck this year. They're still in the playoffs, obviously in the AFC title game, but man, you just don't want your quarterback taking that kind of beating. Yeah. And it sure feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that like if we threw away the players available and just stacked Jacksonville's needs, left tackle for a tackle period would be the number one need for this franchise. Is that accurate in your mind? Uh, honestly, field, I would say playmakers wide receiver, to be honest with you, because there's Fair. just not there's just not a lot there. LaVisca Chenault has been a huge disappointment. Marvin Jones had a good season, but Marvin Jones is at the point in his career where he's really not a number one, might not even be in, you know, a, you know, a low end number two at this point. So um, I think we saw over this last weekend the importance of having big time playmakers on your roster, in addition to the quarterback and the Jaguars just don't have that right now. But, you know, if we're going to rank them, tackle would be up there pretty high. I definitely agree with that. Uh, so we do think that to the two edge players, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hitchens will go high. We think it'll be potentially first and second overall, but it's far too soon as anything is locked in. But how much of a need do you believe pass rusher is for Jacksonville, both now and long-term? Like I, We all feel good about Josh Allen as a player, and I would think he'd have to be one of the few players you can earmark as a building block for Jacksonville going forward. 
how, if, if you were to sort of, again, do a, a depth chart of needs for Jacksonville, how far down do we go before we get to that pass rush as a need? You know, you could put that in the top two or three, to be honest with you, just depending on what you're looking at. You know, I, I if I were ranking, I'd probably go wide receiver and then pass rusher and then offensive tackle, but that's just me. But Josh Allen had the best season of his career as a rookie when he had Calais Campbell and Unique Ngakwe on the field mm-hmm. with him at the same time. And he's been the main guy the last two years. This past year, seven and a half sacks led the team. Uh, but he had a seven-game stretch there in the second half of the season where he was just MIA. And I think he needs another guy on the other side of him to really kind of compliment him. And, you know, you've got to you, – we look at all the premium positions, and if you're building a team, you want to build with the quarterback, you want to build with the tackle, you want to build with the pass rusher in a corner. And, and you know, they've got the quarterback, and they feel like they're okay at corner, but, man, they have got to get better at pass rusher. So that – you know, if you put – you know, if you, if you maybe make a pick now, I'd say that they were probably leading pass rusher at this point at one. We'll be really interested to see how things unfold. There's so much ahead. Again, we don't know how these guys are going to do physically at the combine. Pro day workouts can influence things. Heck, the head coach could have a major impact on who they target if they do go with one of those two defensive ends. I'm assuming some of the assistants are potentially staying uh, going forward, but you just never know, right? I mean, coordinators, offensive line coaches, defensive coaches, you name it, any of them could be on the move depending on who is brought in as their head coach. I think every GM will always say when you ask him if he's open for business to trade down, the answer is yes. Maybe last year being the exception when you had Trevor Lawrence available, pick number one. Uh, And again, I'm not going to hold you to this because there's a lot (laughs) left in this draft process, but do you get any sense that like, if you could draw up Jacksonville's perfect top of the draft scenario, do you think it would be move down, whether it's from one to three or one to five or one to 10, however far, and accumulate extra draft capital because they can just fill that many more needs out? Or do you think that the difference-making ability of that number one overall pick combined with the fact that they've got good draft capital this year, they've got tons of money in free agency, like they have resources to acquire players elsewhere, makes staying at number one a smarter path for this year. You know, you know, with the caveat of, you know, a lot can change between now and then, I think they would much rather probably move down uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know, again, it's early, like you said, but is there a surefire number one guy in this draft? And it doesn't seem to be at this point. Well, unlike last year, obviously, when it was Trevor Lawrence. Um, and this, you hit it, this team has so many needs, wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, uh, pass rusher. Uh, They need a linebacker that can make a play because last year they didn't have anybody do anything, to be honest with you. Um, So they need more players. And and trading down, I don't know. The problem is if you're the Jags or if you're the other teams in the league, who are you moving up for? When there's Mm -hmm. no surefire number one guy, like no one's moving up for a quarterback. I don't think anyone's moving up to take Matt Corral number one or Kenny Pickett. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you might be stuck there, but I think in a perfect world, They'd much rather move down a little bit, get some more draft capital, get another first round pick at some point or, or, you know, another high second pick, whatever they can work out, because then that gives them the ability to add, you know, especially wide receiver, because that's a really deep group. But there's not any that you would really want to consider taking in the top 10. I'm sure Jaguars fans that are listening to this right now are saying, hey, if we could get five first round picks, we'll take it. But we got to hit these picks. I don't care if it's one first round pick, number one overall, or if it's three, you know, it's seven and 15 and 25. You got to hit these picks. Unfortunately for Jacksonville, 
you know, they've hit on a decent number or on some first round picks recently. We just have seen retention be an issue long term, as we all know, with the infamous stat about Blake Bortles being the only first round pick during like a five or six year stretch to sign a second deal with Jacksonville. So they got to make sure they turn that trend around. Uh, he is the great Michael Duraco. You can find him on Twitter. His handle is at ESPN Duraco, D-I-R-O-C-C-O. D-Rock, always appreciate the insight. And I look forward to picking your brain a lot because over the next few months, uh, less than 100 days, I'm sure you'll be a very busy man chasing down what the Jaguars' plans are. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Field. I appreciate it, bud. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We move from pick one to pick two. And much like... The Detroit Lions in their first year under Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and other members of leadership, Eric Woodyard, our ESPN NFL Nation Lions reporter, had a standout first year as his first year, not just covering the Lions, but covering football after many, many years doing great coverage on the NBA, specifically at ESPN prior to his time with the Lions beat. So first year in football, what do you think? Man, it was it was fun. I mean, for me, I think uh, what intrigued me just being a Michigander, I'm from Flint. You know, growing up watching the Lions, and that's what intrigued me to the job, you know, in the first place. So I think uh, it was fun. I mean, being around Dan every day and, you know, Brad Holmes and those guys, that was, that was fun as well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love some of the quotes. Uh, certainly uh, Dan's got no shortage. He may not be quite Mike Tomlin, but he's got some some really good one-liners that uh, always make for fun on Twitter, and they played extremely hard this year. So really enjoyed watching them down the stretch, and they kind of finished their season in a perfect way. They win down the stretch. They get their final win in week 18 over the Packers, which is always fun, even if the Packers didn't play their starters for the entire game. But they preserve that number two overall pick. Uh, and we know there are a lot of things that can happen between now and the draft. But if the Lions stand put at pick number two, do you believe that one of the premier pass rushers, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, is the most logical pick based off of value and fit, or are there other players that fill bigger needs for them this year? You have to go in that direction. You have with the defense. You gotta get it. You gotta get the edge rush. We know how the league works. You gotta have that pressure. 
you know, right there. And I think one of those two guys is, is, is obvious, man. I mean, obviously when you're 313 and one, you can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, pick your poison. But that's one glaring, you know, glaring spot that they definitely need to address. And I think either one of those two guys would be great. Uh, funny story from Brad Holmes, uh, the end of the end of the season, he came in and was you know, chopping it up and talking to the media a little bit and coming in and brought some cookies and stuff. And he was saying he couldn't even go to the restaurant or stores or anywhere without people saying, hey, you need to pick Aiden Hutchinson. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> It was just funny of just hearing him saying that. But I think uh, I'll be shocked if he's there, too. So I think, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau will probably be the guy that they go with. We know him and Panay Sewell played in college together. So yeah. that chemistry is there as well. So I think it would make sense. We can renew not that rivalry because I'm sure they consider themselves brothers, but we can renew that rivalry that we saw on the field during practice. I can't imagine what that must have been like at Oregon, watching two of the best players in the country getting after it in one-on-one drills. So I, I agree. Like it seems like it's not just a marriage of value, but also of need, uh, based off how the Lions front seven performed last year. Some some good young pieces there, especially in the interior from that, you know, Levi Anzarike, Lee McNeil, uh, two first excuse me, two draft picks last year who played well in their first seasons, but could use some extra pass rush there. So let's let's just assume that they do go pass rusher at that first pick. And nothing set in stone, but let's just play this out for a second here. They still own a pick, the slot of which is to be determined. It's the Rams first round pick, which could be as high as 29, as low as 32, with just three games left in this NFL season. Uh, what are the other positions of major need that might be logical targets in week one? Excuse me, in round one. If, if I'm if I'm GM and I'm doing it, I would say quarterback, you know, just because the situation they had last year. And, I mean, you look at – you got Tim Boyle and David Blau, you know, those two guys. And let's just be honest, man. That's Jared Goff within itself needs to have a perfect game. But when you have those – Two guys as a backup with, you know, Boyle was unrestricted free agent. Boyle was a restricted free agent. I would go a quarterback position for me personally. I mean, but you can pick your poison at that point. You can go another receiver. You can go a linebacker. I mean, there's so many other spots that these guys need. But if it's me, I would I would secure a young quarterback, somebody who's not going to come in and play that rookie year and kind of learn from Jared Goff. I think they've all kind of established that, you know, Jared Goff is going to be that guy, at least for next year, possibly even the next two years. So why not develop a young guy, even though this quarterback class isn't isn't great, as a lot of the experts say, I still yeah. will go in that direction. And it feels like to me, and I'm not Mel or Todd, but it feels like to me, this quarterback class may not be great relative to previous years, but that is specifically through the lens of guys that aren't ready to step in and start right now. But there might be some guys that with a gear or two of seasoning could get there, whether it's Sam Howell or whether it's Matt Corral or whether it's any of the quarterbacks, Malik Willis, that we've been discussing that could go in the first round. So it kind of makes me think that Detroit might be the rare team where a late first round pick on a quarterback actually is logical, which we don't see a ton of late round first round quarterbacks because the lock it in starters tend to go much sooner. Um, we, you mentioned some of the other needs there. You know, I, I think this team maybe punched above its weight class last year. Like they played so hard and so ferociously that they maybe played tougher than if you just stacked their roster relative to others around the league, you would think they would play, but how different as we enter the second year of Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell's leadership era how different is this team compared to where it was last year? I feel like the future is uh, quite bright now in Detroit. Yeah, it does. I mean, you look at how they finished the season. They they were 313-1 overall, but the last six games, 3-3. Three and three. So they played very hard. You had the rookie Amon Ross St. Brown come out of nowhere 
and, you know, put up record, you know, had a record breaking season as far as with franchise records. I think that's a bright spot for the team, but I think they did what they were supposed to do. They established culture. They wanted guys to come in and play hard. Anybody that actually watched the team, you saw how hard these guys played for Dan Campbell. And I don't think that's a fluke. They really put that in every single day. I mean, a lot of people in the media, you know, they seen a lot of the, like you say, the one-liners that he made and things like that. But that's literally how Dan was every day. He's an off-the-cuff person, and I think players respect that because he'll come out and just be real and raw and honest with guys. So I think they established culture. They did ex- exactly what they need to do. Now this next season, you try to get into the six, you know, maybe six wins, possibly even seven wins. You know, you just try to get a little bit better every year. It's not even a process that nobody's expecting them to come out and make the playoffs within the next couple of years. I think you just want to see these guys continue to get better. And I think they established that this year, which is why you can pretty much ask for based on the situation that they had, you know, with, with the players that they were working with. At the time of this conversation, the Bears don't have a GM or a head coach. The Vikings don't have a GM or a head coach. And the Packers have some question marks after their abrupt ending in the postseason. So the NFC North is really interesting right now. But I'll get you out on this because I wanted to just ask one more question about Jared Goff. Because I think if you asked most people, is he a top 10 quarterback? The answer is no. Is he a top 12? Still no. 15? Who knows? I mean, he's probably somewhere. I tend to think of quarterbacks in like ranges. He's probably somewhere in his best weeks. He can be like a, you know, right around league average, 15, 16. And then in bad weeks and bad circumstances, it might be more like 20 or 22. Um, But I also think that people need to understand the organizational dynamics and that like saying, yeah, move on from Jared Goff may sound easy because he's not perfect, but it feels like he, and I'm just a guy watching press conferences, seems like there's a belief in this team that he is the leader, that like, this is still Jared's team. It won't be forever. How strong of a, of, of a grasp do you think he has as the leader of this team? I think that's important to keep in mind this offseason. I think so, because, I mean, the guy did still he, – he's been to a Super Bowl. It's not like he's a bum in the league and hasn't sure. done anything. He has credentials. I mean, guys know and they respect what he what he was able to do. So I think, yeah, he's definitely still the leader of the team. I think uh, he's fully embraced Detroit. I think, you know – and it was just a lot. You look at the offensive coordinator situation and never really felt like him and Anthony Lynn got off on the right track. Uh, you know, uh, Campbell comes in, he switches uh, roles where he's calling plays. The receiver situation, they didn't have guys really in the beginning. Guys were hurt. So I think he didn't have an ideal situation as well. either. I'm not making any excuses, but, you know, it was partly his fault and partly just organizational fault of trying to find things that, you know, fit for him. So I think you saw him get more and more comfortable towards the end of the year, particularly the Minnesota Vikings game when they won on that game winner. And he kind of closed the season not in a bad way. I mean, they beat Green Bay the last game, even though it was only a half against, you know, guys, the starters didn't play the second half. But I think overall, I mean, he didn't he didn't, he didn't, didn't finish, you know, badly. And I think uh, he wants to be back in Detroit. And you can't underestimate the fact he's coming from a winning organization, a winning culture in L.A. to Detroit, you know, obviously who's, who's, who's struggling. And he's coming on the heels of Matthew Stafford, obviously the sure. arguably the greatest quarterback in franchise history. I think he really he held his on this year, and I think uh, you know Detroit see him as a guy at least for the next year. Yeah, I think he did some good stuff, and I think that sometimes we underappreciate Jared Goff. Like I think he's an easy target, um, and especially with the success the Rams are having right now with Matthew Stafford. But I think that Jared Goff is a quarterback that sort of is that perfect bridge to whoever is eventually the new quarterback in Detroit long-term. Uh, Eric Woodyard, again, doing great coverage, uh, covering the Lions for us at the ESPN NFL Nation group. And if you want to find him, go to Twitter at 
E underscore Woodyard. That's W-O-O-D-Y-A-R-D. Before we say goodbye, anything you're working on, you want to plug or anything you want to plug in general for those. That yeah, man. Yeah, I'm working, see it. working on a couple of things. Uh, we uh, we should be having a first person story with Amara St. Brown, like a kind of like a rookie diary type thing. That'd be nice. pretty fun. And also, I got a book coming out in March, man, with uh, one of the greatest high school basketball players of all time uh, in Michigan, Kelvin Torber. He went on to Michigan State, career didn't necessarily go the way that it was supposed to, but I think it's a very important story for athletes because he takes you on the emotional roller coaster of being the number one ranked player and, you know, what does life look like when that doesn't work out? It'll be called All In. It's coming out in March. Uh, Michigan State coach Tom Izzo is delivering the opening remarks of it. Uh, we got we got some great things, man. I think that'd be a really really fun project, and I'm really excited about that. Well, if you got a book that features a player that went to Michigan State, and you secure Tom Izzo for the forward, then you know you're in good shape. Uh, Eric Woodyard, you're uh, making sure that all Lions fans are in good shape with their ESPN coverage. We so appreciate you joining us here on First Draft. Good luck these next few months. Going to be a really interesting time in Detroit. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, great stuff from Eric. Great stuff from Mike Duraco. And thanks again to Fitz for holding it down. This is First Draft. We are back live Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time with everything you need to know about the 2022 NFL Draft.